There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. So Biden's got 12 votes in the bucket. A long way to go between now and whenever this thing will end. We've got 90 million have voted already, but they won't be counting their votes until later. So to get in on the thing, we're going to join the spirit of the US presidential election today. I want you to vote and we'll run it all morning. We'll do it on text or on WhatsApp, and we've got it up on Twitter. Who do you think would be the next POTUS? Who will be the next President of the United States of America? And you can vote Trump or Biden. Just the words Trump or Biden. 083 396 96 96. 083-396-96-96 on text or WhatsApp. And we'll do it across Twitter as well for the morning. For a bit of fun for the day that's in it. And we'll be talking to the Gabby Cabby live on the mean streets of New York a bit later on to see how he thinks it's all going to go tonight. That too, and the business community hitting back a bit at level five restrictions. They've uh, released a fairly strongly worded letter to the government about the effects of level five on business in the run-up to Christmas and, I suppose, business in general. That's all to come this morning. 1850 is the number. The text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. We've talked many times on the programme to the good people at Feed Cork. And they've been beavering away there, doing their business for the last couple of years now down at the church down there off the back of Oliver Plunker Street near the old Connolly Hall. They've opened a new branch. They've gone down to West Cork, down to Bandon. And uh, they've gone down there purely to uh, answer public demand, which is a sad thing in 2020. Sharon Mullins, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It is in response, is it not, Sharon, to public demand? Uh, it is. It is. And I suppose, really, this should have happened last year, but between one thing and another, look, it just didn't happen. Then COVID happened, and about two weeks ago, we got a call from one of the volunteers that managed to secure a room in the town hall. So it will start on the 12th of November, and just like in the city, everything is by appointment because of COVID. You know, we have a duty of care to, to everybody that's involved here and we have an amazing group of volunteers and um, so we've managed so far to keep everyone safe and we'll continue that way you know Who is using Feed Cork Sharon? 
Um, well, I suppose the Department of Social Protection tells us that one in eight people is in food poverty and we would have went up, I suppose, by 30 to 40% at the last lockdown. Um, there are lots of families using it, but I, I suppose what really surprised me really is that there were, I suppose, a lot of individual men, which, you know, you're always thinking families, 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 but there are a lot of men living on their own that are just paying for collar, paying high rents and everything else. We would also have had people who were on the POP payment. Mm. And um, like last year, we did a delivery service. We just, like, we were never built for that. And we weren't in a position to continue it this time. But what we find this time now is that we, we have a drive through on a Thursday. So, like, there's no judgment. You know what I mean? All we ask people to do is register with us mm. because we like to go back to, um, to even to Food Cloud and say, right, these are the type of people we're helping. The information isn't shared, but it gives us stats, you know, whether they're families, individuals, different people like that. But we had people who were on the POP payment last time. Mm. You know, things, um, you know, it, it just, I suppose people that are in homes, people that are, you know, maybe paying mortgages, mm. paying rent. You're saying people like, that have never come that, forward before? Exactly, those people. And and if you're pinned to your collar... If you end up, especially if you haven't a medical card, like, you know, one of the kids gets sick, you don't have any choice. You have to go to the doctor. That's 60 euros. Yeah. So that 60 euros has to be taken from somewhere. And if it's coming you know out of mean? a POP. Yeah. 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 yeah, there's a fine hole in it then, like, so. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it's those kind of people. And they're the kind of people we really want to reach as well, you know. Like, we're part of the community response um, with, with Katrina and Penny Dinners. And with sentence in Nepal, now we only operate on a Wednesday and a Thursday. And a Wednesday, it's a walk-up service, again, only by appointment. Mm. And on Thursday, the drive-through is actually brilliant for us as volunteers because we people literally pull up outside the door, they give us their name, pop the boot, the car, we put the food in, and they're gone. And that's like... That's that's just better all around for everybody. It's discretion, you know, it's non-judgmental, oh, it's exactly. everything. People are under the impression that, well, I can't pull up on my car. Sure, people are probably paying by the, by the month for their cars, do you know what I mean? So that's what I mean, there's no judgment, because you can't judge. I mean, yeah. we're only all a few paychecks away from being in that position. Our because there, there are people who, by the time they've paid for the car, kept the heating on, kept the light on, mm-hmm. maybe looked after a, a child needing to go to the doctor... What you have then is come Wednesday, there's no food in the larder, there's no money until Friday. How are you going to eat? Exactly. And I suppose the basket that we hand out, like, we've never wanted people to be dependent on on this. So our idea really is to give um, maybe three or four days supply of food. But in that, it would be nutritious food, you know, there would be cereals, there would be fruit, veg, bread. We have have a couple of food, um, or we have a couple of partners that support us. You know, we have Marks and Spencer's, Aldi, Lidl, um, who else now? Uh, actually, Deals and Merchants Key are brilliant. Mm. <laughs> they give us chocolate, so we love to hand out a bit of chocolate as well, you know. Yeah. Um, Tesco's are absolutely brilliant to us as well. So we've been, you know, we're blessed with those people. Like, even the last time around, um, somebody approached us from Brook Foods and offered us um, a hot meal. So something that, you know, a child would, possibly only have to put into the microwave mm. and you know that's that's continued I'm happy to say like they've been absolutely brilliant. Now I know you they also have had um, since the schools went back Sharon you, you've had contact from schools saying listen can we do something for kids coming in hungry? 
Yeah, so we've, we've diverted some food to them. Um, do you know now, I, 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 um, we have set up a programme called After School Fuel that we're putting together. Now, now again, we did try to do this before, but there's a lot of stigma around it, you know. The kids don't want to be seen going home with a bag. or You know what I mean? They, they, you have to be so careful with this. But I suppose what we're trying to set up now is something that everybody will want to have because it's very trendy. You know, we have um, we have a few people that have come on board to support us with that. And I suppose what we want to do is make sure that a child going home on a Friday isn't hungry coming in on a Monday. Mm. And, you know, no, that can happen for no a number of reasons. You know, there you know there could be somebody sick in the family. There could be addiction. There's loads of reasons. And, like, who are we to judge? Do you know what I mean? Mm. There, like, but for the grace of God, go any of us, Exactly, Sharon. because you, yeah. don't, you, know what, you don't know what's going on behind anyone's door. Yeah. No matter what it looks like from the outside, and we should never forget that. How much of an impact on has COVID had on on this kind of poverty? Um, it, well, as I say, last time it went up by thirty to forty percent. Like we're we're in our second week of the level five now, and we'll be abandoned before it's finished. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that tells its own story. But the after-school fuel is something that we really want to get up and running as soon as we can so that the kids are going home on Friday with whatever they take. Mm. And, you know, they're not coming in Monday because we have had somebody approach us to say that she can hear their tummies rumbling uh, by half past nine. And she looks, they can't concentrate then. They can. You, you, know? you, said that, you said that you just want people to register. Now, that kind of strikes a bit of fear into some people. Can you allay that fear? You, you don't want names and addresses and phone numbers. You just, what, what do you need when you say register? Well, actually, PJ, we do register people. We have an app okay. that was built for us a few years ago. Um, we introduced it actually to the, to the community response as well. And to my knowledge, it was taken up by one of the one of the other groups. I think right. it was a to call. I'm not 100 percent sure they want that. Okay. okay. What it does for us is it allows us to see that there are uh, maybe this week now we had something like 80 new families. Right. And and we get all that information from the stats. The information isn't shared with anybody. Yeah. The stats are shared. That's what's important. I think if if oh, if, if someone's listening to us here going, God, I I okay, register. Does that mean they know who we are? Does that mean they're telling people who we are? Oh, listen, everything. We're a Christian outreach, PJ, and everything is 100% confidential. And we're in operation three years, mm. I think, since May. Uh, yeah, since May, there were three years in operation. I'm here at three years myself uh, next month. Yeah. But they're three years in operation and they just run this beautifully. So, so how does how does one register if we need help? So, well, what they need to do is they need to contact us. They can contact us by direct message on Facebook. Okay. Um, the other, there are two numbers. I have one out to hand. Um, it's 089 yeah. 226 yeah. 94 yeah. Zero eight. Okay. And the thing is, the best thing to do is even to text us. It's easy, you know what I mean? It's easier for us to get back to people yeah. that and way. And it's Feed Cork on Facebook, is it? Feed Cork on Facebook. And I mean, to allay anybody's fears, you know, it is 100% confidential. Yeah. Like Absolutely. we have a group of volunteers here, PJ, that, you know, if they were being paid, the commitment is unbelievable. Ah, you, couldn't, you, know, we have a group you, you couldn't pay them. So you know, it's Wednesday brilliant. in town, and then when will Bandon operate? Well, it's it's Wednesday in town by appointment, and Thursday the drive-through is by appointment. Bandon will be on the twelfth of November, 
between three and four. So everybody will be booked in for that hour or if it goes over, we'll have them booked in for that hour. Okay. You know, okay. and the thing is, even with the basket of food, PJ, we do a family basket. But what we do then is if somebody, like uh, maybe a guy on his own, if he takes a basket, we ask him not to come back then for two weeks so that we can put someone in for the following week. Do you know what I mean? I understand. I so understand. it's it's um it's it's really it's it's really well run and again, well it's great to see it so successful. It's unfortunate that it's so necessary, but great to see it so 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 successful. Well, PJ, I wish we weren't here. That I would know be the that. plan. But look, we are we are yeah. where we are. So I suppose if you can give you know offer people some support, that's the way to go. And again, if people contact us out of ours, I'd always send them to Penny Dinners or to Vincent de Paul because they're they're they would be bigger operations. And mm. I mean, Katrina is going constantly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we wouldn't be. You're part of a very powerful machine, though, tackling poverty in the city, which oh, is great yeah, to see. Yeah, great to see. Yeah. Sharon, best of luck with it, and particularly Our, best yeah. of luck with Bandon. And if there's anything we can do, you know where we are. Thanks, Sharon Mullins and Feed Cork. Feed Cork on Facebook. If you give them any information, it remains completely confidential. Feed Cork on Facebook and text this number, or I suppose WhatsApp, the number 89 226 9408. Speaking of texting or WhatsApp, that's what you do for our little poll to find out who will be the next president of the United States. Trump or Biden? 083 396 96 96. Trump or Biden? We'll run it during the morning. It's also up on Twitter uh, since earlier this morning at Opinion Line 96. Trump or Biden? Who will be the next president of the United States? Just vote. Let's not get into rant about it now. And we'll talk about it in our third and final hour. Uh, when the polls are just about to open, we'll talk to the Gabby Cabby, Peter Franklin, and we'll get a bit of perspective on what might happen in an election that is probably going to be much tighter than we think. 1850715996. Is me, the small to medium enterprise organisation, has hit out at the provisions of Level 5 COVID-19 restrictions. They said they've held their powder till now, but they have to speak up. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Is the Irish Small to Medium Enterprise Association represents 10 thousand businesses across the country. They've written to every TD in Cork uh, about Level 5. Neil McDonald, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What, how you, what are you saying to the TDs about, about Level 5? We, we got to a point, surely you'd have to accept a couple of weeks ago, where the, the rise in the incidence of the virus was just too big to ignore and we had to do something. Absolutely, uh, that, that's the point we've uh, we've acknowledged uh, with the TDs and, and with the government. Um, the issue, though, uh, and this is the point we're trying to make to them, is that lockdown in and of itself is not the solution. Lockdown, of course, uh, is a tactic that we employ when the numbers of cases are getting out of control or they're rising too quickly for our health service to handle. But 
we have to do other things to control and manage this virus. This virus at the moment is managing the Irish government. The Irish government is not managing it. Uh, and what we're pointing out is that those countries that have successfully tackled uh, COVID, uh, we're looking at uh, Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific Rim countries like uh, South Korea, have actually t- taken other public health measures. So they are actively testing tracing, isolating uh, and controlling the virus when it when it arises. We're doing none of those things. Uh, mm. We have a failing testing regime. We're, we're, uh, we're not tracing people. We're actually failing to, to trace people. Uh, and when we do eventually trace those people, we're not isolating them. We have huge numbers of tests being carried out every day. Tens of thousands of tests being carried out every day. <laughs> Yes, we do. We do indeed, PJ. Um, but what we're, we're finding, and what you, you will have seen the reports in the media, especially over the weekend, that our public health regime is wedded to uh, this PCR test, which, yes, is a gold standard for tests. But first of all, it's very expensive, and secondly, we're turning them around too quickly. Some people are waiting for days uh, for tests. I would have said we're not turning them around quickly enough. A government minister can have a turnaround in three hours and families with children are waiting three days. There's something wrong there. Absolutely. And the the fact is that there are also tests available available which can be turned around in a matter of minutes. Not as accurate. Uh, Absolutely not. But, you you know, when you're in the teeth of a crisis, uh, the difference between 92% accuracy and 99% accuracy may not be as important as the speed of response. And that's what we're saying is essential now. Mm. Are you suggesting that we do something other than the than, than, than the PC? No, absolutely not. We're suggesting that what we need, we need to do is to accompany PCR testing with a fast, reliable antigen testing system, mm. as is present in among our other European neighbours yeah. who have. It's been trialed in a few places, which is which is a fair point. Well, I, you see, when, when people say they're trialing uh, a non-destructive, uh, harmless test, one wonders. What they're actually trialing. You know, there there is no downside to actually trying this. Some of these tests are available for less than 10 euros a time yeah. and they can produce a result in 10 to 15 minutes. Now that's exactly the sort of thing we should be doing in those places we've committed to allow people to go to work uh, such as uh, schools and essential retail. Th- those people need that sort of testing mm. right now uh, and, yeah. and it's functioning elsewhere. Your letter suggests that some areas of business, in particular, say, hairdressers, barbers, that kind of thing, have been treated very unfairly. Yes, they have. I mean, and, and we're citing the HSE's own figures in doing this. So for the, the week ending the 17th of October, which was the week that preceded this level five lockdown, there were only two cases respectively out of 649 positive cases, uh, two from retail and two from personal grooming. That's hairdressing and, and barber. Now, that's 0.3 of 1%. Uh, so very clearly, the virus is not moving in those circles. The the argument that you, the scientific argument that would be made, though, to counter what you've said, is that that's all very fine. That you know there aren't very many cases coming out of hairdressers or out of retail, and and that is a scientific fact. But as community transmission rises, in other words, the number of cases that we don't know where they came from, the chances of someone walking into pennies, for argument's sake, or into a barber who's asymptomatic and spreading the virus and it passing on to other customers, 
increases. Yes, and that is true, and that is the point that government has made in response to those figures. Uh, but what, what we're saying is, in the long run, it is not sustainable to shut down large sections of the economy where no transmission is taking place. We are going to put an end to our, our, a functioning society and, an, and a functioning economy if we do that. This is where relying on lockdown on its own mm. as a public health measure is grossly deficient. And we, we really have to expand the range of policy options we have to tackle it. That's, well, that's actually the point we're making. To be fair, the WHO would agree with you on that, in that both David Nabarro and Mike Ryan from the WHO, the two senior figures, have both said, look, you only use lockdown to get control. When you have control, you've got to do more. Exactly. Uh, uh, lockdown is, is, is designed to give your policymakers and your public health officials time to respond. Uh, it quickly pushes down the curve, it stops that community transmission, and in doing so it gives you time to put pr- actual strategies rather than tactics in place, things that will actually fix, uh, 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 fix this uh, virus in a harmless place in the long run. We're unlikely to have a vaccine for this in the short to medium term, in other words, in the next weeks or months. So what we, what we have to do is to make sure that we can actually conduct some version of normality in social and commercial life, uh, because otherwise all we're going to do is end up attempting to borrow our way out of this crisis. And borrowing, let's not forget, for people of your or my age, PJ, is simply passing on debt to our children. So we have a responsibility now to cop on and to start putting in place public health measures that will actually address and fix this in the long term. We focused a lot on the opinion line, Neil, on Australia and how they've done it in Australia, where, to be fair, they've had massive success. Now, at great cost, it's been very difficult for them, but they've done it. Do you think that we could do what they've done in Australia? Um, I, I, I certainly think it's possible, and, I, and I'm acknowledging before some of your listeners come in and say that some of the things they have done have been very intrusive in terms of uh, literally stopping travel uh, among their own uh, federal states in Australia uh, and confining people um, who who uh, who are, are symptomatic. But I think there's compulsory a hotel quarantine. For example, our own Sonia O'Sullivan. Uh, who's an Australian citizen now, is actually in a hotel quarantining as we speak. And, and they're, they're the sorts of uncomfortable discussions we have to be willing to have. In other words, is it our preference that we the whole population goes into a level five lockdown or are we or do we think it's better that those who are symptomatic or who test positive in other words are we are we going to lock up everyone or are we going to lock lock down some and in our view it is far preferable and it just makes common sense that we will focus our public health uh, measures on those who are symptomatic or in danger the problem is so many people carry this virus around asymptomatically Yes, indeed, and uh, you know, yet, you know, yet another reason why we go into why we go into level five lockdown. However, um, this comes back to the testing regimes we're talking about. This is where we do need a rapid uh, and responsive testing regime that 
we, we know that a lot of people are asymptomatic, uh, but but those that become symptomatic, we need to take them out of circulation really, really quickly and make sure they stay out of circulation for 14 days because th- this virus, unfortunately, is going to be with us for some considerable mm. time to come. That's one of the hardest things to do, I think, is to take someone out of circulation, particularly, for example, in business. If you're running a, a small business and, and you yourself have symptoms taking yourself away from that business for 14 days you're you're risking your business of course but unfortunately PJ you know many businesses have crossed that Rubicon already we have a lot of businesses that are effectively just being maintained on life support through state supports that either the wage support or the bank forbearance and the bank forbearance officially ended in September and, and most businesses have returned to repayment of, of business mortgages but uh, you know over time if we do have a suppression of commercial activity by for, for example a non-essential retail lockdown and and more specifically doing that type of lockdown at the at this time of the year when most of those not, uh, you know clothing yeah. to- toy people would expect to be doing this is a horrible time of the year for this to be happening exactly they, they would expect the to be doing 30 to 40 percent of their business in the yeah. next uh, annual business in the next six weeks yeah. um you know they they won't recover from this if we don't put something solid in place the relevant minister is leo varadkar what would you be saying to him right now we we would well we I mean he is a recipient. You, of leak, this you can give him a document. I mean he'll give it to anyone you want him to. You know. Yeah, exactly, PJ. I think what we're we're, we're saying to him is what we've said to all the TDs. Lockdown at the moment is necessary, but it is, it is insufficient. You have four weeks now to put in place a system and a regime that will control this virus in the long term. Just re- reintroducing lockdowns is not a cure for COVID. It's, it's, it's going to ruin our society, it's going to ru- ruin the exchequer, and it's going to force our children to pay massive debts in the future that they don't need to pay. So get your skates on and put a sensible system in place to control this virus. Neil, thank you very much. Neil McDonnell from the Irish Small to Medium Enterprise Association. You can't keep doing this forever, so while you're locked down this time, do something practical. That means we won't have to go into it again. I see there in the news this morning where Tony Holohan is warning that even though the numbers appear to be turning, everywhere except Dublin, the numbers appear to be turning, we won't be doing anything early. He doesn't want to do anything early. We're due out of this situation on the 1st of December. Now, I was talking to Ernest Cantillon yesterday down at Electric and Sober Lane, and he's very fearful that we'll come out of this and go into level three, where we still won't be able to go into the pubs or into the restaurants, which would be an awful disaster with a couple of weeks to Christmas. But certainly what, what Ismir is saying is, right, fine, we've done this, we'll get it under control, we'll get the numbers down. You have to have something in place to do it right long term. After 10 we'll be talking to Professor Tricia Carney from UCC. She's an epidemiologist. She believes that what they've done in other parts of the world, like what they've done in Australia, like what they've done in New Zealand, she doesn't accept the argument that it can't be done here. I'll talk to her after 10. Remember to vote in our little poll. We're running it throughout the morning. Trump or Biden? 083 396 96 96. Vote Trump or vote Biden? 
text or WhatsApp or on the Twitter at Opinion Line 96 and we'll give you a result. We'll collate the result around about 5 to 12 and see are we right uh, tomorrow morning or whenever they get the result of this thing. Driving in in the last couple of mornings, as the mornings get progressively darker as you come through, it is lovely to see, really lovely to see, just down there where glow should be and unfortunately won't be this year. There's the start of the Christmas lights going up, lovely coloury bulbs. That really, I, I, big smile went across the Coogan face yesterday morning as I drove in and saw them. And then I saw lovely photographs from Formoy, where they've started to put up lights in the street just to brighten up the dark evenings. And it's a nice idea. Graham Clifford is there. Graham, good morning. Morning, PJ. Morning. Great. Where did this idea come from? Well, kind of along the lines of what you were saying, uh, driving along and, and seeing the lights and it lifted you. Well, when I was driving along the other night, do you remember there was one particularly bad night weather-wise? It was dreary in the middle of level five and everywhere was dark and miserable. And I thought, God, it doesn't really need to have to be like this. A bit of light really mm. would, uh, would, would change the scene and lift people's mood. And, and it was, it, the idea was, isn't so much, I suppose, putting up the Christmas lights early as it is kind of just focusing on maybe winter lights, like white lights, still white lights, mm. and then um, adding the Christmas lights as we come nearer Christmas. But uh, that's where the idea came from. And then I contacted, I live in a, a, a Crescent uh, PJ, um, wonderful families here. I contacted all of them and I said, listen, what about if we try to light up our houses and there's a green in front of our houses? And we said if we lit up the trees there with lanterns and stuff and everybody went, yes, 100%, and it's just taken off. Yeah, and there's loads of old battery-powered LED lights laying around every house now. Well, this is it. Like, if you raid the attic, you'll find lights that are perfectly good to use, I'm sure. But what we've done as well, PJ, is we've said, okay, we don't want people flocking to the shops to buy lights and stuff, obviously. So we're using, like, jam jars and emptying sweet jars and uh, doing uh, bottles, things like that, trying to light them up so that there's creativity as well, which is really good for the kids. And the biggest impact, I suppose, where we are, a lot of people will walk and run past where our street is. And we wanted to give people a lift as they passed, especially older people. You know, it's, it's a lonely time anyway. Mm. But with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, it's, it's, it's extra stressful. And it's amazing. One of my neighbours, Helen, last night, she was putting lights up on the wall after dark. She, she's brilliant at all that kind of stuff. And, and she was inside the wall, so people couldn't see her doing it. But as they were passing, they were going, oh, my God, look at this. This is fantastic. You know, it gave people a lift. Mm. Yeah, the, my, my missus loves a bit of light at any time of the year in the yeah. garden. It doesn't matter what it is. We, we, yeah. we buy, I, I buy loads of cheap LED solar-powered lights just to keep really? a bit of light yeah. going on all year round. And there is a lovely little bit of cheer. Well, we know the impact that light has on one's mental health. Um, so many studies, you know, uh, would show that. It even helps you sleep better, better I was reading. Um, but it's just it's one of the lovely aspects of this too, PJ. So it's the light, which is lovely and fine and perfect and uplifting. But what it does as well is it means that the whole street is connected. We're all on a WhatsApp group, PJ. So right. somebody's saying, geez, I need a double A battery, lads. Does anybody have any? Or... Uh, I have a jar and I have a light, but I don't know what should I do or <laughs> where did you get that lantern you, you hung up on the tree? Yeah. And so people start talking and should the laugh we're having, is I mean, the lights are secondary at this stage. It's, you know, we consider it's essential a community. She bean in the back garden. But it's we're not do that, so. <laughs> she yeah. bean's probably not a good thing to talk about. <laughs> don't talk about them on the radio. No, no, <laughs> <bean>. <laughs> Tell me where it is, but don't talk about it on the radio. <laughs> 
I'm yeah, missing. But, but, I'm missing. I know. But, but, but I mean, it, it's just been uh, wonderful from that aspect. And I'm sure, especially in other urban settings as well, your streets where people might know each other that well. Yeah. So this is a lovely way of, of doing that in a gentle way. And it doesn't mean we're coming together. We're doing our own thing, but on the one street. And, it's, and when you add it all together, it's a communal effort, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, maybe loads more people might do it in the in the long, dark, cold nights ahead. Yeah. Graham, thanks very much. And we've got yeah, some pictures on our Twitter now of, of the, the display you've got. It's really cool. It's really nice and really and, simple. And most doesn't cost anything. Most exactly. And PJ, PJ, it would be great to put out the call that if other streets and other towns could do the same thing, go for it. You know, why not? All right, Graham. Thanks as always, Graham Clifford. So they've done it in Fomoy. They've got a little crescent down there. Cheap lights. It doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to spend any money at all. Hang up a little bit of light. You know that little bit of a, a solar thing that you have in the back garden that you got in Tesco's or Woody's or some one of those and it barely picks up a bit of sunshine and it glows in the... Stick it out the front. So what if it gets robbed? It only costs you six quid. Stick it out the front. Go up onto the tree and the green opposite. Stick it up in the tree and the green opposite. It'll light up the evening. It'll be nice. I'm very tempted. Actually, we've got, still got some builders in at home at the moment. I'm very tempted to put some lights on the scaffolding just to brighten up the evening. Lovely idea from Graham Clifford and, and the gang in Fromoy. And as you drive in in the morning, I'm thrilled to see this. I was just saying this at the start. The, the bit of Christmas light going up in the city. It, it is a little bit of a cheer on a cold, dark morning in lockdown. So whoever thought of putting them up this early, take a pat in the back. 1850-715-996. Story in the news. Just heard it there at nine o'clock with Vic that these powers that the guards have to enforce regulations to shut down pubs or restaurants, they could be extended until next June. That's not going to go down well. Helen McEntee is going to go to Cabinet today and ask for it. The powers to shut down pubs and restaurants under health regulations. The, the powers that she presently has expire next week. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96FM. Remember our text poll. Trump or Biden? Just one word. Trump or Biden to 083-396-9696 by text or WhatsApp. Or if you want to, you can vote on our Twitter at OpinionLine96. We'll collate the whole lot before the end of the show. But back to that story that Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, is going into Cabinet to seek an extension of these rules that presently allow the Gardaí to shut down restaurants and pubs that are not enforcing COVID-19 restrictions properly. Michael O'Donovan is with the VFI in Cork and the Castle Inn. Michael, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. How does that sound to you, that they want to be able to extend these powers until next June? Yeah, look, I, I, firstly, we'd very much welcome the powers being extended, uh, PJ, because um, the vast majority of our members are running a very good house and they have nothing to fear. So if anybody is breaking the rules. Look, we've been very plain back since the very start of this back in June saying that if any pub or any premises is breaking the rules, they should feel the full rigours of the law. So the vast majority of our members would have no fear of this. Look, I can testify myself when I was open briefly only for 16 days back in September. I had the Gardaí 11 of the 16 days twice a day and, you know, there was nothing to fear. They came in, they checked 
They looked at our contact tracing sheets. They they checked our social distancing. I had nothing to fear. They they came in. They spent you know maybe a couple of minutes in the bar, and then they were gone. And it was that that story was repeated by many across the city and county. So the vast majority have nothing to fear if they're following the rules and the guidelines. It, mm. It's it's very much welcome, and it will keep those that aren't following it really in check. You know. Your president, uh, Padraig Cribben, said this morning in news he doesn't feel it's necessary to have them for the next few months. Yeah, well, look, I, I suppose the big fear is it's um, it's it, it's going to next June, which is, you know, like, look, these were brought in mid-September until November. We were told they were a short-term um, feature. Now, in, I suppose, mid-November, they, they're being extended for the next seven and a half months. So does that mean that the government feel that the that we're not going to get out of this really until until then? Because they they told us that it was only a short term fix while we were using these guidelines and following the guidelines. So now it's more of a a worry. Is this the government's position that we're going to be in this until next June? In terms of what happens on the first of December, which is when this present level five lockdown is meant to. Well, for want of a better word, subside. I was talking yesterday to Ernest Cantlin uh, from Sober Lane and Electric. Ernest's fear, and I think it's a widespread fear, is that it'll be only level three where we'll be back to eating and drinking in the street, which in December is just not practical. Is that a widespread fear? It is. Look, um, I suppose the Tonister, um said, you know, uh, to, I suppose, our industry leaders uh, the night that we were announced that it was going into lockdown, that the feeling was we went from level three and we jumped to level five. So we'd only jump from level five back to level three again on the 1st of December. And level three for us is, as Ernest said yesterday, 15 sitting outdoors, no indoor dining, takeaway only option as well. But... Um, that's not sustainable in, in winter in Ireland. Not in Ireland, because you can have the best, you know, uh, canopies, you can have the best heating, you can have the best windbreakers, but, like, how many people are going to want to sit outside for maybe two hours to have a meal and then maybe go for a drink afterwards? I'd say very few. They might do it once, but I'd say if they get a cold, damp night, they won't. it's not too enticing to do it maybe a second time. Mm. Um, so it's, it's really not sustainable. So, look, we've been, I suppose... Uh, uh, watching the numbers and I think in the coming weeks if the numbers continue the way they're going please God we'll be lobbying hard for the government to to maybe do level three but maybe with uh, some additional benefits mm. i.e. maybe indoor as well as outdoor. How would you feel about regionalising it Michael? We know that Dublin is a consistent problem and, and is just very stubborn uh, in trying to get the numbers down. Tony Holohan suggesting last evening that other parts of the country doing very well but let's not get too let's not get overexcited yet. Is there a case to be made for regional changes? Like if if we were able to get it under control in the city and county in Cork, say, could we go back to level two? But Dublin, because it's so stubborn, have to stay in level three. Do you think there's a case made for that? Absolutely. Look, I think they've shown that with their roadmap because look, the some of the country was on level two and they pushed Dublin and some counties in the north on level three. So I think they've already shown that that can be done on the roadmap. So we will be making those arguments to them if the numbers are uh, are going in the correct direction in the next two weeks prior to to the 1st of December. Because, uh, look, as, as, as you've said, look, level three for us, especially for the crucial month of December, uh, means closure for 99% of our members. So, like, we, we, we really need to get to level... I suppose three with benefits or two plus, whatever they want to call it, um, mm. 
um, for our trade to survive, really. Okay. All right. Listen, Michael, thank you very much and good luck with whatever happens over the next few weeks. Michael O'Donovan from Castle Inn and, of course, the local chair of the VFI. That's the very real prospect. And I said it yesterday, no one would prefer or no one would like more than me to go into a pub and have my dinner and have a pint on the 1st or 2nd of December. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to be going back down to level three. I just have that feeling in me water. And I, and I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. 1850-715-996. Betty on WhatsApp says, open the shops and the pubs and the restaurants. Open them under strict rules. Have lots of checks and close them if they're not followed. And then PJ Minister McEntee is dead right. It doesn't mean she'll use them, but they're available to her if required, says Tom, which is a fair point. There's no point in trying to open something up slowly and carefully if you don't have rules to fall back on should it all fall on its backside. Kate says many of the small businesses tried really hard to comply. I think they should be given a chance to open back up again. 1850-715-996, just talking about Feed Cork with Sharon on. It's very sad for many to be trapped and worried with today's stresses. I really hope more families, men, young people, reach out for these services and realise it's just to help to get them back on track. I salute and thank our volunteers. It's a small gesture of kindness, but it screams hope for many in despair. And also on Feed Cork, hi PJ, the word heroes is flung around so easily these days. But the real heroes in the whole world are people like Sharon and her team and the Penny Dinners as well. They're the real heroes. And when people complain about small stuff, think about the people they're helping. And that is from Mike in Canturk. If you want to contact Feed Cork, the number to text is 89 089-226-9408. 089-226-9408. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. You can tweet us at OpinionLine96. The hashtag is OL96. And you can contact us through the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Don't forget to mark your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. Coming up a little bit later on, a UCC professor who reckons we could actually do what they did in Australia. We could actually do what they did in New Zealand and stop trying to tell us that we couldn't because a lot of people, including the Taoiseach in his recent speech, said it couldn't be done. It could be done if we wanted it to be done and we'll get more on that in the next hour. First of all, though, what on earth was all of this about? So anyway, I was walking downstairs of the Most Story Car Park and I could see a group of lads. They were all definitely school students. Um, I know that for a fact. Then one of them turns around to the other two lads and was like, oh, will we rape Chloe? Just as clear as that. Now, I ignored it, walked on, but when I was walking back, they were gone. Chloe Kingston's a TikTok influencer. Chloe, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. When did this happen? I know you don't want to tell me where or do you. When? Um, so it happened just last week, actually. So I, I actually didn't put up the TikTok um, until the following day. I wasn't actually going to highlight it, being honest with you, but when I explained the situation to my sister, I think it kind of hit a bit of a nerve. So, um, yeah, so I just said, look, it's something that people should be more aware of. And, you know, I think 
D- describe it for me. What time of the day was it? Was it So this evening? was the evening time. So I actually finished work at four o'clock. I actually went shopping at another supermarket first uh, before that. And then I went back to this said supermarket. Um, so it was evening time. It was dark. You know, it was at this time, it was about half five, quarter to six. Right. And did you know the youngsters? No, I didn't. I didn't even recognise them, being honest. Now, it was quite clear that they were students, you know. How was it clear? Because they were young, you know, they definitely looked under the age of 18. Now, I can't be 100% sure of that because they weren't in uniform. Um, It was midterm, so you can't even even pin it back to a certain school to to even report it to, you know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, they think it was just a bit of a shock, to be honest with you. You, You'd be be well known off the TikTok because, you you know, you're you're, you're there a lot and young people on TikTok would know your face. Did you feel scared at all? Did you think they were serious, like? To be honest, it was just, I've never experienced something like that to even hear a joke like that. You know, of all things, of all statements that they could have said, you know, um, to state rape was just baffling to me, you know, um, especially in this day and age. I thought that there would be a lot more kind of knowledge around what you should and shouldn't say. And it was just so obvious that they wanted me to hear it. You know, it was kind of almost threatening, you know. Did you, yeah. did you fear they were serious? I mean, as in... Like, as, as in, in did, you, were, did you quicken your step? Did you did you feel, I better get out of here? Did you feel intimidated? Oh, 100%. Like, I mean, I went into the shop. I literally did a few bits of shopping and I had the phone on me when I was coming out, you know, and like where they were sitting, I could see if they were there or not. So when I came back out to go back up to my car... They were nowhere in sight. They were gone. And, and did, so you were I relieved at that, like, I imagine, were you? I was, I was relieved, but then I was kind of like, okay, like where, where are they gone, you know? But that's what, you know... Did so you contemplate back. that one of them might have followed you? So, yeah, like as in, in the shop, you mean, or...? Yeah, they might have kept an eye on you and whatever. Did you feel watched, like... No, no, I didn't. No, I don't think they followed me. It was more so, it was like a threat. It was like as if they wanted me to hear it yeah. and get that scared. And then it was like they purposely left when they did. You know, it was just more of a, yeah, to put more fear in me than yeah. anything, I, I feel, you know. Did you consider reporting it to anybody? Was there anybody to report it to? Um, like, to be honest with you, PJ, I think, and you know, even if you look at some of the comments that I have under the TikTok, um, you know, it, it, you're nearly ashamed to report something like that, you know, because... Yeah. You know, I noticed that. Sad, I wonder why would you be sad. ashamed? I feel because you feel threatened in a public place. Why would you feel? You do, you do. But at the same time, you know, you have. If you look at some of the comments, you have some people saying women um, should stop objectifying themselves and men won't see them as objects. You know, and it's like this. You know, some people are even thinking that these allegations are fake. You know, so you know, it's 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 very hard to bring things like this forward. I feel myself anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Their defence, I suppose, and they're not here to defend themselves, and there probably isn't a defence, but if they were to put one up, Asher, we were only missing. What would you say to that? It's definitely not a joke. It's not something you should mess around with, really. You know, I mean, for example, let's say I had been raped previously. God forbid that didn't, like, that never happened, thank God. But for, for example, if I had been, emotional distraught that that would bring me you know or memories that it would bring back to me yeah um and like you know i mean there's rape cases going on like so 
often as well. There's so many rape cases that we don't even hear about because of women being afraid to bring them forward. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like joke or not, teenager or not, you know, somebody said, you know, they were teens. It was, you know, it was clear that they weren't going to do it. But I'm sorry, but like we just had a murder in January um, from a 16, 17 year old in Cork City. So it's yeah. not that they're not capable of doing things like that, if you yeah, get me. I do. Um, especially in numbers. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, do you think a conversation needs to be had between parents and and teenage lads, between teenage lads and slightly older lads? Listen, carpets of you can't actually say that. Like, I like, yeah, I think that I thought that it was something that would be, you know going to be drilled into kids anyway but I think because look we don't know what's happening in a lot of kids homes either you know um, look I'm from social care background myself you know a lot of you know there's different dysfunctional families you know yourself um, you know there mightn't be that support they might be seeing these kind of things at home we don't know you know Um, we might be you know we don't know how the parents converse we don't know if there's parents in the picture you know we don't know if there's abuse in the home so, you know, I do see that. So I think that even in schools, it should be highlighted a bit more. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was in school, to be honest with you, there was never much brought around about it. You know, we obviously had our SPHE and things like that, but it was, we didn't have any talks around the area or, you know, mm. consent as well. You know, consent is a big thing. No mm. matter even what a woman is wearing, if she's going around the place with a bra and knickers, she like if she's not consenting, it's not right for them to do it. Like again, go back to the the rape case where we had you know the defence around the jury ask the defence lawyer asking the jury to consider the underwear. underwear. Yeah, yeah, the woman yeah, was yeah. wearing. I mean, you know, back to that again. Like you know, it's um, yeah, it's crazy. You know, everyone. Everyone isn't on the same page, which is quite sad. You know, in this day and age, we're in 2020. It's it's just sad to see this still going on, you know? Yeah. The, the response you've had to the TikTok has been mixed. Very, very much mixed, yeah. Do, do you regret doing it now? Do you regret making the video? I don't think so, because I do think that it reached out to a good few people, and if it can even have one person, that's all I really wanted from it. It's, you know, some girls and me being, you know, me myself, I was very, very trusting of people, and, you know, I'd be the kind of person who'd nearly leave the car unlocked, you know, I'd be that trusting, especially in the town that I'm in. It's not a place where you'd hear of many incidents happening, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, everybody kind of knows each other. Everyone looks out for each other. So, yeah. And, like, and does it does it break any ice with you, Chloe, that when someone says, look, do you know what? It wasn't right. It wasn't acceptable. It shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't do that. They're idiots. Mm-hmm. But it was probably harmless. Does that cut any mustard with you? That it was only harmless. That it was only messing, like they weren't actually going to do anything to you. Does that cut any muscle? But even if it's thought, I mean, if, it, if they have the thought in their head of even like that, you know, even if yeah. they have, you know, in the in the future, a year, a month down the line, we don't know, like, is, in, is, is that talk going to become an option? There you go. Not towards even just me, but somebody else, you know? There you go. And someone who'd be more vulnerable than you. You know, exactly. you're strong and confident and you're out there anyway. Like, Well, I'm a tall girl, so <laughs> I'd like to be able to say I'd be able to stand up for myself, but at the same time, you know, three... Were, were you tempted to tall me. for a second to turn around and say, come here, you, you little shite, what did you say? <laughs> Jeez, I was, you know, I kind of was, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it's better to not instigate it or yeah. to, you know, I just think sometimes, yeah, it's better to bite the tongue. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Move on. All right. Chloe, good to talk to you. All right. You too. You too. Thanks a million. Take care of yourself. See you. That's Chloe Kingston from TikTok. You'll find her all over TikTok. Actually, some of her videos are very funny. Uh, When I was looking at her last night, (laughs) I love her dog. I should have said that. Got a cute dog. 1850-715-996. But no, that's not. That's not on. Like, we've all done it. We all hung around and slagged and whistled and jeered at people. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And we all kind of, we've had the building site argument, you know, walking past a building site, women walking past a building site, and this whistle comes down from the scaffold. Some women don't like it. Some women don't have a problem with it. But there's a big difference between a whistle coming down from the scaffold and that kind of thing. We'll be raped. That's that's not on. That's not on. 1850-7159. Even if you don't mean it, we know you probably didn't mean it. They probably had no intention. But you're sending out the wrong message. 1850-715-996. Taxi drivers want us all to wear masks. Now, since all this started, any time I've sat into a taxi, and it's been a few, any time I've sat into a taxi, um, I put a mask on me. Just out of respect, I suppose, and consideration for the driver. But you don't actually have to. And I've not seen a sign-up enact any taxi that says, please put on a mask. You have to do it on the bus. You have to do it on the train. But you don't actually have to, so far, wear a mask in a taxi. And taxi drivers are asking that they be included this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just remember our little poll, our little US presidential poll. Uh, Trump or Biden? Who do you think is going to win? 083 396 96 96 to text or WhatsApp. That's Trump. The word Trump or the word Biden, 083-396-9696. So you can go to our Twitter at OpinionLine96 and you can vote there and we'll collate the whole lot around about 5 to 12. 1850-715-996. But there you go. Have you sat into a taxi at any time during the pandemic and have you put on your mask as you did? There might have been a perspex screen behind the driver, but did you put on your mask? Because the driver would like it for you to, for, to be to be compulsory for you to do so, just like it is on the bus or the train. I was quite surprised to learn that it's not. Derek is a taxi driver. Derek, good morning. PJ, good morning. How are you doing? All right, sir. It isn't compulsory. I was surprised to learn that. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, at this point in time, PJ, it's, it's not a compulsory requirement for any passenger in the Republic of Ireland to have a face mask or face covering on in a taxi. Do you have in your own car, for example, the Perspex screen behind you? Yep, I do indeed. Um, so I'd have the, the protection screen that would separate the passenger uh, and the driver. And just to go back to what you said before the break, I actually went down to Kingsign in Douglas myself and I got notifications made up for the to, to put on the prospect screen of face masks are recommended. So we can't say are compulsory, but I got made up to say that they're recommended. Now, they're compulsory on the bus, they're compulsory on the train, but, of course, you too are public transport. Do you feel a bit left out? Uh, well, it's just another case of the National Transport Authority just ignoring the needs of taxi drivers. Um, and the reason I say that, PJ, is that 
anyone who operates a taxi, let's call them an operator, um, or a bus, a bus driver is an operator, or a Lewis or a train driver, um, the proximity to the passenger would be closest with a taxi driver to any mode of transport. Yes, in their wisdom, for some reason, they feel that we're... You know, we don't need passengers to wear face masks in an environment that is closer to the passenger than any other mode of transport, which is just ludicrous. Did, did the regulator, the taxi regulator or anybody make make an approach to the uh, transport authority at any time? I'll tell you what's happening, PJ, and it's I've been speaking at the weekend with Niall Carson. He's the general manager of Free Now in Ireland. They are the only ones, PJ, that have actually made contact with the Transport Authority to say, please, our drivers are as important as bus drivers, train drivers. Please make it mandatory. So free now, we're the only ones that have actually reached out over and over and over again to say, please, make it mandatory. Supposing I got into the back of your cab next Saturday night, we'll say, Derek, and, and I said, take me across town there, and you say, put a, put a mask on, please. And I say, no, I don't. I don't want to. And you say, well, in that case, I'm not taking you. Are you open to sanction? Not really, because there is grounds um, under the Taxi Regulation Act where the taxi driver has the right to refuse under the grounds of health and safety. So, and like that's a very broad area. Um, so uh, it's up to the discretion of a taxi driver really if they feel threatened or in danger under the grounds of health and safety we do have the right to refuse but the thing about a PJ is no one has actually refused but it's the whole saga that goes with it so they come near the car you ask them to put it on they ask you why and they say well look unfortunately at this present time we're in the middle of level five of coronavirus lockdown and my safety is important and your safety is important and by all of us coming together we can keep each other safe so please would you mind and i think when you approach it like that the customers see okay look the guy's been nice he's asking us let's just put it on and i and i know you pj you're very nice you wouldn't refuse me anyway (laughs) to be honest with you derek and uh, you know i would consider it my civic duty to protect the driver of the taxi as a frontline worker. I consider him or a bus driver or a train driver to be a front, a former frontline worker. I would protect them by wearing my face mask in a taxi. I wouldn't dream of not doing it. No, but the, the horrible thing about a PJ is by omitting taxi drivers and including every other form of public transport in the country, the indirect message really that the NTA are sending out is the life of a taxi driver is just not as important as other forms of transport. And that's what they're saying, mm. you know, because you can't just exclude one sector you, and say, okay, Dublin bus, bus Aaron, the Lewis, the Dart, planes, ships, everyone must have masks on, ex- except for taxi drivers. Sure, nah, nah, just pass them by. Mm. You and may, it's ridiculous. The whole free now collection connection, of course, is that you 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 drive for free now, and indeed it's free now is is is, is leading this call. But as I open my app now, you know, I would have thought that what you could do, Derek, uh, the app developers, before you go to the map, before you go to the button and ask where you want to go, please wear a face mask in our taxis. Yeah, well, the message that Freenow actually has sent out, um, and it emailed all the customers around the country, 
Um, so it's a two-tier operation. What they sent out to customers around three weeks ago was, please, moving forward, we would really appreciate if you would wear face masks in 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 the taxis. Now, Freenow were the first company actually in Ireland to make it uh, mandatory um, that there will be no passenger in the front of a saloon car. Actually, there's a thing I wanted to ask you now that you brought it up. Like, I, again, wouldn't dream now to anything only sitting in the back. But if I want to sit into the passenger seat, given, I mean, like, I know you, for example, if I want to yeah. sit into your passenger seat for a chat, there's nothing yeah. to stop me doing it, which, if I tried to do that in a, in a black cab in London, I'd be kicked out in the street. Yeah, but um, again, and again, it's free now that has initiated all this. It's very clearly set out. If you go into the booking app on free now at the moment, what you will see is when you go to book a normal saloon car, you'll see the vehicle and you see the number two next to it. The reason that's in place is because Freenow only wants two people in the back of the car and no one in the front of the car. And they believe that way it is keeping everyone safe. And ideally, if you can get face masks as well, even better still. Yeah. Now, this is coming on WhatsApp. Why does this taxi driver want people to wear masks? He has a screen to protect him. This is what you're dealing with. Oh, but this is exactly what you're dealing with. But at the end of the day... There is always the possibility, when you have um, a prospect screen in the back of the vehicle, there will always obviously be gaps around the side. Nothing is 100% secure in life. So in order to eliminate all the risk, let's all wear face masks in a very, it's a very small enclosed area in, in the inside of a car, PJ. So, and the only way that we can guarantee that everyone is safe is by having face masks on. Now, I'm the extreme. I would always worry about my customers and their health and their safety. So I, by choice, wear these FFP3 masks, which are 99.9%, because I am so obsessed with keeping my customers safe. Mm-hmm. Now, all we ask is that customers return that and, and keep it safe, or safe as well. It's not too much to ask for. Um, and, and together, hopefully, at the end of the day, we'll all get through this. All right, listen. Well, you know what we've done here now? We've highlighted it so that if anyone thinks of sitting into a taxi without a mask, that they may consider it to be a, a, a gentle word of advice, shall we say. Yeah, all it, you know what? All it takes, PJ, and we're very good in Cork City of, uh, at doing this, is just keeping an eye out for each other, thinking about each other, looking out for each other, and in a couple of months' time, we'll be laughing at this. But for now, let's be safe, let's be sensible, and we'll get through it. All right, listen, Derek, thanks very much. That's Derek O'Keefe, taxi driver. The next time you sit into a taxi, why not? Just put on the flipping mask. You wouldn't get on the bus without it. You won't get on a train without it. Although, did you hear these eejits? And that's all they are. Did you hear these gobdaws on, on the Lewis in Dublin? This video was going all over the journal yesterday. Okay, Is it any wonder that Dublin is stubborn when you have that kind of antic on the Lewis? That video was all over the journal yesterday. Thanks to Fergal for tidying it up a little bit because it was a far more colourful 
piece of audio. We couldn't have used it. Then there was the crowd that gathered outside Michal Martin's office yesterday. I'm reading from the examiner. Gardaí and Cork say they attended the scene of a demonstration outside the entrance to Michal Martin's constituency office. They monitored the demonstration, passed off without incident, began an Evergreen Road and then dispersed onto Douglas Street. Between 20 and 30 attended the event at the Teachers' constituency office. Some of them held signs with statements calling for an end to the current COVID-19 lockdown. There were no arrests, but an investigation is ongoing. Now, you have to ask the question. Outdoor gatherings are banned. We can't have more than 15. If there was between 20 and 30 people outside the Taoiseach's office with posters and all of that and calling for end the lockdown and acting like these clowns on the Lewis, why can't you break that up? Why can you not just, if it's against the regulations to have that many people gathered in one place at the one time, why can't the guards just break it up? 1850-715-996. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. See, this is the kind of response to something like Derek's call that leaves me with my head in my hands wondering what the hell like we have to do to convince people to just be sensible. This coming on text. Taxi companies are private hire for profit, not the same as national bus and rail public transport, so different rules. Why? Why? Because Derek is self-employed and drives you home and makes a profit out of it, has the audacity to make a profit out of it, that he's less respectful, worthy of respect and care and safety than a bus driver? That's part of the problem. I'm all for it. If the law is changed, if you cannot be allowed into a taxi without a face mask, you shouldn't be allowed into a taxi without a face mask. And if anyone wants to challenge me on that, go right ahead. 
1850-715-996. If you sit into a taxi without a face mask, don't be giving me exemptions. There's few and far between. But if you sit into a taxi without a face mask, you're part of the problem. 1850-715-996. In the news there at 10 o'clock, we heard that the Children's Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, will admit today to TDs and Senators that trust has been damaged by the row over the mother and baby homes archive. Minister Roderick O'Gorman adds Minister for stating the bleeding obvious to his portfolio in the Dáil today. He'll be taking questions uh, on plans for the archive of the system, survivor testimony, the whole thing, and, and he'll go into detail in the Dáil as that one rolls on. We know that the report of the Mother and Baby Homes Commission is on his desk now. It was given to him uh, last Friday or Saturday, we believe. It's also going to be read by the Attorney General and I presume many other people to see what can be published and what cannot be published. And then eventually when it's been legaled and checked, it will all be published. But what will be in it? We are told it's the harrowing. It's 4,000 4, and odd pages. What exactly will be in it? If you're someone who gave testimony to the Mother and Baby Homes Commission, what do you want to be in it? What would you like to be in it? If you went up there and gave testimony and bared your soul, told, told your truth, what do you want to see in the report when it's eventually published? I thought that would be an opportunity for me to catch up with an old friend of the opinion line and an old friend of mine, Mary Steed, who did just that. She gave testimony to the Mother and Baby Homes Commission. We caught up on Skype in the last couple of days. Mary, you and I go back many, many years on, on this story, this this whole campaign, and it's good to speak with you again. Can you outline in, in very simple terms, for those who wouldn't understand, why everybody was so upset with the legislation that came out in the last couple of weeks? Well, there was indeed a lot of confusion Um a lot of it down in part, unfortunately, to Minister O'Gorman and the way that he first couched the legislation that he was putting forward. Um, the original intent, or as it was, you know, released to the public, was that he wanted to seal the archives of the Mother and Baby Home Commission. And this would be, you know, all of the work they did, the investigatory work, plus records. Uh, well, the uncertain part, of course, at that point was would it include records that had been handed over by uh, legacy agencies or current, uh, you know, Tesla, whoever might be the uh, record holders uh, at the present? And, of course, that, that there were concerns on two levels. The, the, the personal files, of course, we've always had difficulty getting our own records. Uh, anything that would have come from the mother baby homes or related institutions uh, that was seen as just one more slap in the face. And then the administrative records or any investigatory records, well, that all pertains to us as well. So that's our story. That's our narrative. That's our truth. Why would that be sealed for 30 years? This just seems like more gagging post Ryan. You know, we saw that with the Ryan commission in the 75 year gag. Um, so it was horrifying to a, a lot of adopted people, mothers, families, you know, who have been desperately trying to get answers for themselves. Um, and, and then not least of which so many of us who had participated in the commission of inquiry, uh, that we would not even be allowed anything more than perhaps a redacted copy 
of our own testimony. The, the statement that they made then on Wednesday evening, has that made a difference? Has that clarified things? It, it has. I mean, it acknowledges, number one, what we've been saying all along, which is that GDPR and the way that the minister interpreted it was incorrect, um, that we are covered and included under elements of GDPR and should be entitled to information. Um, so I think it went a long way to clarify understanding of that. Um, hopefully, I, I would I would say for our own community so that they know you know, that what we've been saying is correct for these well, these many years, um, that this should apply, GDPR should apply. What, as a participant, for example, in the commissioning of inquiry yourself, what, what would you personally need to be able to access going forward? Well, my most important thing is an ongoing criminal complaint um, that I have against the Sacred Heart Order and their legal representatives altering records that were pertinent to the vaccine trials. Now, that was done as recently as 2002, so we're not talking way back historical. This is relatively new information that came to light in 2017, um, that when those records were under subpoena by the Lafoy Commission back in 2002, uh, the order went in and altered details, such as changing the mother's date of discharge to make it appear as though the mother was not present when the vaccines were given, ergo, no consent required, right? Um, I know my mother was there. She testified to that before the Lafoy Commission back in 2002. Uh, so that to me, you know, that's a criminal action. That's, 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 they violated the law. I recall meeting you and your, your late mother, sadly no longer yeah. with us, and, and you told me that story about the vaccine trials. And from that yeah. day to this, you have been trying to get to the bottom of it. I have. And I mean, I, I've been very fortunate in that I've gotten a lot of information. I've gotten confirmation from Tesla. I've gotten confirmation from GlaxoSmithKline. I have submitted all of that to the Commission of Inquiry. Um, in fact, they, they even asked for it. You know, um, I, I received emails from them. Are you submitting testimony, particularly as it regards the vaccine trials? Um, so, again, my concern now, when I made that complaint in 2017, um, Court Gardee took it very seriously. They told me it had to be forwarded on to Dublin and then to a unit that was dealing directly with the Commission. Of For the benefit of listeners, Mary, what what is your the, the nature of your complaint? Well, again, that that my records, along with nineteen or eighteen others, there were nineteen records and some uh, that had been altered when they were being subpoenaed to make it look as though mothers were gone or not present. So that would strengthen the order's claim to give consent for because, our participation. Because children were, were used for vaccine trials without the consent of their mothers. Correct, correct. And again, in my case, I know I have the full lineage and history of what happened, where my mother was, at what point in my life. She didn't sign relinquishment until after I had uh, received my last vaccine series, so we know she was there. I know what date she was discharged. Um, so that, again, that's a criminal action. And I wanted to make sure that that was addressed appropriately. So I filed a police complaint. Now that currently rests with the Commission of Inquiry or whatever Dublin unit body, whoever was seconded to help the commission with its investigations into criminal or, you know, any element that might have a prosecution 
accusatorial nature to it. Um, but I've heard nothing. That that was the last was, you know, my complaint went from court to Dublin and into a void. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm saying void. It went to the commission. But do I get resolution to that? Will that information be given back to me with some sort of answer? Will anything ever be done about it? Right, exactly. Or will that be sealed for 30 years to protect it? And does the statement of last Wednesday clarify the matter for you at all? No, no. That on that score, it does not. We don't know at this juncture. The, the big unknown is what will be protected. So there's a lot, to, a lot more to be done on that on that front. Let's talk, Mary, about the report of the inquiry, an inquiry in which you actively participated. We hear that it runs to four thousand or more pages. We hear that it is harrowing, which one would expect. What do you hope is in there, Mary? Well, I, I, I would hope that it is confirmation of everything that we've all been saying and that it is not whitewashed, that we don't end up with another McAleese report, um, that their findings are fulsome and not focused on one specific area, uh, you know, that we cover all of the harrowing aspects that I think we've all known about the mass graves, the treatment of the women, the treatment of the children. Uh, what happened if a child wasn't adopted or placed with a family? You know, did they then go on into institutional life? Which, of course, that aspect was somewhat covered under Ryan. But, you know, do these people get further voice, you know, to talk about that transition from the mother baby home to residential? Um, so I, I, I would hope it contains our truth and, and not someone else's version of it. Remind listeners, Marion, you know, they've heard your story before, but for those who haven't, little Marie Therese and her mom, what, what is the story? What did happen? Well, uh, my mother was, as I kind of couch it, <laughs> um, a, a survivor of the trifecta of the Irish system. So she herself was born out of wedlock. Um, she was the youngest of four that had been born out of wedlock, one raised in family, one died, and uh, I think two actually raised in family. I'm still sketchy on one of the brothers. Uh, but because she was the last, and potentially because she was female, she was sent off to industrial school. I don't believe that her mother had any choice, and I don't think from what I've heard that her mother wanted that. Um, she wanted to keep and raise her. Uh, so she was sent to Waterford, and we believe there was some interference from her mother at some juncture, maybe when Josie was about 14, where she did try to get her out, and there was some sort of row, as my mother described it, with the nuns. Um, and then they sent her to uh, Sunday's Well in court, to the Magdalen Laundry there. She did sewing for 10 years in their sewing room. Um, they finally let her out at age 26, got her a job at Our Ladies in Dublin, uh, working as a ward aide, I guess. And um, she had a little bit more freedom, although still somewhat limited. They were still under the watch of the nuns. And um, she did get out to a dance, met my father, fell pregnant with me, and then was promptly sent back down to Besborough uh, just a couple of months before I was born. And then she was there with me until December 1961 uh, when I left for the U.S. What age were you then? I was about 18 months, so a little bit shy of two years. So you were one of what Mike Malott refers to in his books, the banished babies. The, the banished, right, right. 
Yeah. And then my parents also adopted a boy two years later from Besborough. He had been born in 62. Uh, my brother, late brother, he's no longer with us, but he arrived in 1964. So he was actually a bit older and had some more memories, you know, than I did. Yeah. And you, you met your mom then? I did. Yeah. I, um, well, and, and as your listeners may not know, but I'm also a mother of loss. I was forced to give up a daughter when I was 18 in Philadelphia and I had found my daughter in 1997. So we've been reunited since then. Um, plot twist. I recently found out my daughter also relinquished when she was 15 and has now re uh, reunited with her daughter. So I have a granddaughter who, who just turned 27, um, but we're all happily in communication and I'm eager to meet her after we're able to travel a bit more freely here. Uh, but anyway, that, um, that, that's sort of our saga. We have quite the legacy of <laughs> relinquishment and loss in, in our family. And your story, Mary, your, your narrative is, is one of thousands of people. It is, yeah. And it's important, isn't it, that the report reflects that? It, yes, yes. And I, I do hope that they got a, a somewhat healthy representation from the Banish because there are a lot of anomalies there. Um, you know, children who were illegally registered, weren't really issued passports by Department of Foreign Affairs, you know, slipped out on military transport. So um, all of that, I hope, gets addressed. Something very close to home, something personal to you, something we covered at enormous length on the programme when it emerged was the close to 900 unaccounted for babies at Besborough. That has to be addressed in this report, does it not? Ab absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and why they died, most importantly. I, I know, you know, we often talk about the, the, the bodies and mass graves, and that is important. It is undignified the way that they have been laid to rest and, un and unmarked, you know, circumstances. But also, it begs the question, what was the level of care, you know, did, did we matter to anybody? People have talked about nothing being allowed to be done on Besborough or around Besborough until we know exactly what lies beneath. You support that? Oh, I absolutely agree. No, no, no buildings, no planning. I mean, that, that whole property and former pieces of the property that may not, you know, belong to other sources, whatever, needs to be definitely investigated. Yeah. Searched, excavated, x-rayed? Excavated what? if necessary, uh, you know, do a thorough geophys of the entire property, get records, um, even if it's anecdotal evidence from former caretakers. Uh, we need to know what part of that property might have been used. You know, and I, I remember you telling me, you know, what, what you, as far as you knew, as early as 2005. I mean, I think we have pretty strong evidence that there are probably remains. Is there any worth hoping that the report will recommend something like that? I think they will. I think, you know, just based on the interim report on the deaths, it seemed obvious, and especially with the outcry over tomb, that that would be looked at. And I think stories, you know, I, I know that they were decent enough to notify one of our mothers uh, where her son was buried, and she finally received closure after being consistently lied to and told where her son was, um, that that shows a measure of uh, some level of decency, that the commission will do the right thing. 
those who did the wrong thing over all those years, many of them are either long gone or very elderly. Can anybody be punished? Realistically, Well, I mean, under the Statutory Commissions Act, I mean, there's certainly grounds for that if, if there were crimes committed. Um, it does have some prosecutorial teeth to it. And I would hope that they exercise that to the extent that they can. Um, age notwithstanding, I, I don't think anybody should be allowed to get away with that. Um, I, if they're alive and kicking, they need to, they need to answer for it. Mary, we'll leave it there for today. We'll have a read of the report when it comes out and we'll talk again. All right. Thanks, PJ. That's Mary Steed, a long-time activist, um, speaking to me uh, from her home in the United States in the last few days. And when we get our hands on that report, when we eventually see what's in it, uh, we'll cover it in depth here on the Opinion Line. 1850 On the Lewis yesterday... That's why I say that we should surely have videos and photos of all of these people. Uh, Their medical cards should be stripped. This is coming in from a a text, I think. Their medical cards should be stripped. Their social welfare payments should be stopped. And that is just get the message across. I said it long ago. Dublin should be cordoned off. No one in and no one out. Well, you don't know that they're medical card holders. You don't know they're social welfare recipients. But certainly you'd like to see them punished for that kind of carry on on the Lewis, certainly. 185715996. Following up on the big political story of the week, what will happen when Leo Varadkar stands up today, I think it's about four o'clock, stands up in the doll today to explain himself as regards the document, the contract, the IMO contract, which he gave to his friend, Dr. Matthew O'Toohill, from the National Association of General Practitioners. It was inappropriate it wasn't best practice, is what they're saying. But yesterday, Michal Martin gave uh, the Tonishta a vote of confidence. He said, yes, I have confidence in by Tonishta. I was kind of wondering, is that the kind of confidence that a football manager gets from the board the week before he gets sacked? Who knows? Daniel McConnell, political editor of The Examiner. Is it, Danny? Is, is, is he on the edge of the plank here? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I, I think certainly he's one major gaff away from being in real trouble. I think there's enough... Uh, bolstering of his position over the weekend. I think what we've seen from both Fine Gael and, and the Taoiseach as well is a bolstering of Leo Varadkar's position or a buttressing against these pretty stringent opposition attacks. So <clears throat> I think while there's a there's a, a feeling that that he's he's put it all out there in relation to this incident, um, but I think it, were anything else to come out into the public domain, I think yeah, Leo Varadkar would really be in trouble because when I question his standing and his authority has been greatly diminished by by this affair, you know. They've tried to dress it up in, in all sorts of different ways, but the bottom line is, as the opposition have said, he was caught leaking a document he shouldn't have leaked, and that's it, that, that, that is, in a nutshell. There was and a parade of ministers yesterday going on various radio programmes, and it's almost as if they'd been to choir practice first. They were all saying the same thing, almost using the same lines. I mean, the spin machine should really, really teach them to, to disguise it a small bit that they've all been coached, but they were. I'm surprised that they haven't printed T-shirts with the phrase "not best practice" on it because we've heard it, I think, you know, several hundred times since since since, um, since it was uh, first introduced by Leo Varadkar's statement on Saturday. Um, 
yeah, they all stuck pretty rigidly to that script of it being not best practice. There was no real advancement on that language in terms of, you know, he got it wrong, he made a mistake, he was an idiot, he was stupid, he was, you know, there was none of that sort of stuff. Um, but I think what what we've seen from the Greens this morning, I noticed both Eamon Ryan and Pippa Hackett being far more cautious in their, I suppose, expressions of support for Leo Varadkar today. You know, Pippa Hackett, the senator, come minister, uh, super junior minister, you know, didn't or she stopped short of expressing confidence in him. She basically said it'll depend on what he says, you know. So, so I think the Greens, um, you know, for all their, uh, you know, for all their faults in, in their own ways, you know, that they have always had a pretty low threshold for this sort of old school shenanigans that the Irish politicians have long since engaged in, and I think you're seeing that reflected in. You know, they've they've taken by anyone they have taken the strongest uh, line of of all the government. So it'll be very interesting to see what Natalie Overacker does enough to assuage those concerns. Uh, La- lastly, on the lastly, and briefly, Daniel, because we're running short on time. Appreciate you taking the call. If Village Magazine has more, as it says it has, and it sticks, is he toast? It depends on what they have, and ultimately, you know, we've been hearing since Saturday that they have other stuff, and yes, they, it has yet to come out into the public domain. Um, if they have any more, and it, it, it goes that he's done this again or has done this on multiple occasions, then I think he would be in serious problems or he'd be in serious trouble. But I think if it's just noise around, you know, that that's sort of tangentially related to the main problem, then I think he might be okay. Um, but ultimately, a lot will also ride on his performance, the tone, tenor he takes in the doll this afternoon. Uh, if he's overly bullish, I think that could go against him. And because the opposition are certainly baying for blood, they, they they see a weakness here and they're certainly going to maximise their advantage uh, over that 90-minute period. OK, all right, we'll see what happens, Daniel. Thank you very much. Daniel McConnell, uh, political editor of the Irish Examiner. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp, 8083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Remember to close out the programme today. We'll be catching up on what might or might not happen in the US presidential election. But we want you to have your say also. Running a little poll all morning on the text and WhatsApp. It's on the Twitter as well. Who do you think is going to win? Trump or Biden, just one word, Trump or Biden, to 083-396-9696. Or indeed, you can go to our Twitter and you can vote there. Trump or Biden, 083-396-9696. We'll find out a bit more about that election at around about a quarter to 12. But first of all, we've talked many times over the course of the few months about the option of trying to go for a COVID elimination strategy. We've talked about it with Anthony Staines. We've talked about it with Jerry Killeen. We've talked about it most recently with Dr. Niall Conroy in Queensland, in Australia, where they have their lives back. There are still some restrictions in place, but they've got their lives back. We've looked at New Zealand and seen the rugby matches are now taking place at the weekend. Concerts are happening and people are able to go back about their lives. We talked last week to Paul, Paul O'Brien, doctor who's in quarantine on his way back to China where he lives with his wife and he's looking out the window from his quarantine room at Shanghai where life is back to normal. They've managed to eliminate the COVID. We were told by the Taoiseach in his last State of the Nation address, as it were, that you can't do it and that it's nonsense and all that. He just, he has rubbish. And an awful lot of politicians have rubbished it. And if you're to look at social media, they rubbish it all the time. But now, the Professor of Epidemiology at UCC is telling us, yes, it can be done. We could do it. We could do what Australia have done. We could do what New Zealand have done. 
Professor uh, Patricia Carney, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This has been a long-standing argument since the very start of this. Um, I think it was Jerry Killeen brought it up first on this programme, and then Anthony Staines mm-hmm. followed him up. And, and others agree, disagree fundamentally whether you could do it or not. You believe the science is there, we could and we should. Yeah, absolutely, PJ. I think one of the things, um, and the evidence for this is clearly um, being established now, that the the science is clear on this. We've seen that it can be done. It's been done, as you say, in New Zealand, in Australia, and a number of other countries. And so I suppose the question then is, what's stopping us from doing it here? And, and why are we hearing this message that it's unrealistic? Um, and I suppose what I'm asking is that we have a kind of an open conversation or so, you know, a national dialogue around this and really figure out what are the barriers. And, um, you know, clearly it won't, it's not an easy option. And I know you've spoken to Niall Conroy and the huge work that had to be undertaken in Australia to, to achieve elimination there, but that we could at least start the discussions, I suppose, and see is this something that, that would be technically feasible here in Ireland. Like at the moment, we're in level five now. It's tough. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very difficult for business. We've had ISMI. I spoke to Neil McDonald from ISMI this morning calling on the government to have some strategy in place for when we do come out of level five because he makes a very, and it is a very valid point, we can't keep yo-yoing in and out of mm-hmm. lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I think we're saying basically the same thing. And so, as you know, I'm a member of the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group and we're coming from different perspectives, from public health, economics, social sciences, humanities. And we're, what we're saying, really, I suppose, is there is another way. And uh, we have heard from the political leadership that it's, that it's unrealistic. Um, and I suppose what I want, I'm encouraging people who are listening to, to ask um, is, well, how, how realistic is it to continue to live the way we are at the moment? Um, and can we really see what are the barriers to taking an elimination strategy in Ireland? What are the difficult decisions that we would need to make? Um, and, you know, what's preventing us from doing that? The first thing that will be put up is the border issue, the northern mm-hmm. border. We've two, we've two jurisdictions on the one island. You couldn't possibly do that. Yeah, so I suppose, um, like any of these things, what we thought might have been impossible in the past changes as our world has changed. We now have county-level borders um, that are in place. Uh, we know that the restrictions that are in place in the north and the south are different at the moment. Um, and we do have uh, those borders are being policed at present. And absolutely, I recognise that that's problematic. Um, but I think there is the potential to take um, uh, an all-island approach. And we've seen that work in the past with public health issues like foot and mouth. Um, so, again, it's it's difficult. Um, and I'm not in any way trying to minimise the, mm. the challenge of that. But uh, there's a difference between, I suppose, difficult and impossible. Would you be suggesting, for example, Patricia, that we now stay at the equivalent of Level 5 through Christmas into 2021 and only ease out of it as we get close to elimination? Is that what you're suggesting? So I think we really need to look at the restrictions that are in place and we can see that they are good at bringing the numbers down. I think what's what's worked very well this time is that we've been able to keep schools open um, and, you know, I think the the level, we need to get, I suppose, more nuanced in terms of understanding what behaviours are really important in terms of preventing transmission um, and what things c- can be continued. 
but yes, we do definitely need to, you know, there's no point I'm talking about, we're talking about elimination, but at the moment we still have a lot of community transmission mm. and we need to get that under control First, and that's and kind of the purpose of lockdown, mm, isn't it? It gets exactly. that under, as David Navarro says in the World Health Organization, it, it'll get you breathing space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we need to plan what's ahead. I suppose one of my concerns, and I'm sure we're all going to feel this way, and we're already starting to feel that the way that you know we would like the restrictions to, to lift. Um, but I suppose the question is to what end? And that's why we need real political leadership here to guide us towards an objective whereby we actually could be back to living our, our lives. I know you were talking there about, you know, people in Australia and New Zealand going to, to, to sports matches, enjoying cultural events, you know, being out and about, meeting their family and friends. Mm. Um, and I think that's what we want to aim for in 2021, not to be back here again. Did we come out of it too fast the first time? Remember, we, we had it and we almost had the numbers licked back mm-hmm. in June, late June, say we only had a handful of daily cases and Leo Varadkar when he was Taoiseach accelerated and I presume he talked to Neffet about this accelerated the reopening did, did, did we get overexcited in the summer? So I certainly think if we had continued for a little bit longer um, we could have uh, you know, really gotten the numbers down essentially to zero we would have then also had to tackle the issue of importing cases so you know the, we need to get rid of community transmission and then we need to stop the inflow of cases and I think again that's something that we need to have an open conversation about and um, we know that uh, Irish people like to travel and we like people coming here and we need to, to think about are we open to the idea of mandatory quarantine and actually implementing that mm. uh, because there's no point in us getting rid of all the cases in Ireland if we're continuing then to import cases from elsewhere. I spoke to Dr Paul O'Brien in Shanghai last mm-hmm. week. He's a doctor from Cork and he's he's got his, he's married out there but himself and his wife are both in separate hotels. He said it's hard. There's no, no lying. Yeah. It is hard. But coming out of it, the, the, the reward is normal life. Our own mm-hmm. Sonia O'Sullivan, our Olympic silver medalist, is in a quarantine hotel, I believe, in Melbourne at the moment, waiting to see her family and her dogs again. It's hard, but the reward is normal life. Can we, could we do that here, Patricia? Do you think we'd have the stomach for it? So that's, I think they're the kind of questions, PJ, that we need to have. And um, I think, you know, in terms of the hospitality industry, which has taken a huge hit, and we know that in Australia, you know, that's it was hotels that were able to come forward and be used as facilities where people were in their isolation um, and so, you know, we have that capacity there. Um, and that's, I suppose I would feel that's not for me to answer, but it's for people who are listening and think about weighing things up. Um, I think potentially the rewards are worth it. Mm. Testing before and after one travels, like we hear from the aviation industry, the tourism industry, and in fairness, they're bunched now after a very hard year. And the prospect of facing in to 2021 and, and another dead summer fills them with dread. Should, can we look at, realistically, compulsory testing, free flight, quick testing, quick turning around so that you can only fly if you have a certificate that you're clear? Is that doable? 
So I think in terms of the travel, what I would be arguing is that it would be a lot more strategic for the airline industry to try and lobby across Europe to go for elimination. And then we could have these travel corridors uh, between different countries in Europe that have, have achieved elimination. And that's what we're seeing is going to be happening in Australia and New Zealand, and um, that they're going to be able to travel between places. Um, I think that's a much more viable option than the testing you know testing isn't my area of expertise mm. but i don't think it's reliable enough at present and we know that you know people will have heard about false positives false negatives depending on where the person is in the incubation of the disease uh, they may test negative but it's because they haven't um, you know yet uh, it's kind of too early on yeah. and and so you are kind of exposing I think if we're going to make those really difficult decisions and make those sacrifices to get to elimination, then we really need to, to do so um, in a robust way. As we look around Europe, and we, it's tough enough here at the moment, but as we, as we look around Europe and still geographically at least looking at the UK, they're about to go back into another harsh lockdown. Spain have curfews, France have curfews, even Germany is tightening up. Italy is in trouble again. Belgium is in dire trouble again. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the prospect of trying to coordinate everybody into one effort to eliminate, it seems almost too big to contemplate. Well, I think, you know, the reality is that all of these places are facing restriction to try and get community transmission under control. Um, and that's the first step that's, 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 that's going to be required. Um, and that, as you said, you know, that gives us a window of time to think, OK, what's the end goal here? You know, are we going to have real political leadership, I think it would be wonderful to see uh, Ireland taking a lead on this. We've seen in the past um, in Ireland in terms of public health going back as far as the smoking ban where you know it was sort of considered absolutely um, unthinkable that Ireland would, would mm-hmm. lead in something like a smoking ban and yet we did it. And so I think there is an opportunity in Europe for us to say we can do it. We have some uh, geographic advantages in being an island and just being that bit further separate from mainland Europe. Um, but I, you know, again, absolutely this isn't easy and it's not going to be easy to achieve across Europe, but the kind of catastrophic images that we're seeing from, from ICUs and, you know, the, the potential that healthcare systems across Europe are on the verge of collapse um, is, is sort of extraordinary and we, we have to find another way. How long, and I know how long is a piece of string is the the very nature of the question, but how long do you think if the EU, say for example the European Commission, decided tomorrow that this is going to be policy, we're going to go for elimination across all of the member states and do whatever it takes to get to the situation where Australia now finds itself. How long do yourself and your colleagues think that might take? And so, as you say, it's really difficult to to put a timeline on it because, of course, it also depends how rigidly people adhere to the restrictions. And we know that it takes it sort of takes as long to get from 100 to 10 cases as it does, say, from 10 to 1. And I think that's it's that second window of time that people start to get um, impatient. And, you know, I think at the moment when the case numbers are so high, and um, it's easier to have the restrictions implemented. And um, I suppose I would say the longer we wait, the longer that it's going to take. And um, so at least here in Ireland, we've already seen that the numbers are starting to stabilise and at least we're going in the right direction. Mm. Um, but, you know, you are talking about into, into next year. Yeah. Like if we, if we did really well out of this five weeks or six weeks, mm. is that then the time to start talking to the hotels in the airport, start talking between the north and the south and say, right, boys, we're on it. We're, 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 we've, we're off the starting 
line here now. Let's mm-hmm. let's go and let's go for it. Let's just go for it. Yeah, well, I I think we need to start that conversation now. Question yeah. for you from Morris. Uh, with respect, it's not about the science; it's about the people. People mm-hmm. in Asia seem to have a better presence of mind and live in the now, so they see the danger and they can make the link between their actions and the spreading infections. For the record, I wish we had a population like that. We've been better than other countries, but would we be good enough to do this? Could we get ourselves to behave, act as a team, as it were? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I've done um, some work looking at this in terms of uh, adherence to uh, or uptake of the travel restrictions, um, and there was really very high levels of, of, of uptake. You know, so people, when we, when we were asked to stay at home, we stayed at home. Um, and that was true for older people and younger people, um, for men and for women, um, you know, in, in, in different counties across the country. And so we have data on this. Um, and so I would say that, that we are able for the task. Um, but what we really need now is clear leadership. Um, and, and, and to make it clear what our what our end game is here, what's the goal uh, that we can work together towards. And the other thing I would say is that we need to put the right supports in place. So if we're asking people to isolate or to restrict their movements, that we need to be sure that they are in a social, financial position yeah. to be able to do so. That, um, that they don't the suffer, sort of they don't lose a job, exactly. they don't get in trouble yeah. with, a, with a difficult boss because they've got exactly. to, to isolate. You've raised the idea yeah. about a people's convention. Now, we've done this a couple of times in this country with, with some, some level of success. You've raised mm-hmm. the idea of a new people's convention on dealing with COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just think it's really important that um, we have a, a kind of an open conversation about this. Um, and I think there's been a danger that you know, different experts have been coming on and it ends up kind of polarising the conversation mm. potentially a little bit. Um, and so I think maybe a different approach is needed now where we can say, OK, this is this is what we've tried to do. This is what we've tried to achieve. Um, you know, we've already... I think one of the things that's important to remember is that this is a new disease and we are learning all the time. Um, and now we do have examples of where... Um, you know, it has worked in somewhere like Australia, which I think, you know, a lot of Irish people that will have lived or travelled there, have relatives there, mm. understand that it also has some of the complex issues that we face in Ireland in terms of along land borders. You know, so one of the things that maybe not all the listeners will be aware is that different restrictions were in place um, in different parts of Australia. And I'm sure Niall would have spoken to you yes. about that. And, you know, in some ways that's more similar to our border issue. Um, and again, you know, I'm sure he would have made it clear that that wasn't easy. It was difficult to implement. Um, but, you know, there that's, I think, what we need to be open to. And I suppose the other thing is to think about civil liberties um, and, you know, things like mandatory quarantine. Obviously, that does raise important questions about our society. Um, but I think... You know, no no one person has all the answers to these questions. And that's mm. why I think it would be helpful to have a kind of a, a, a more uh, open uh, approach to this. So we would come together, presumably on Zoom this time out. Yes. And, and, yeah. and have a convention and vote on things and then maybe legislate according to what comes out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be clear political leadership on this as well. But, you know, to guess, you know, I think there's a danger sometimes that it's the, the loudest voices that are heard. And we know that it's... Uh, the vast majority of people um, actually in the, uh, the the sort of surveys are happy to adhere to the restrictions um, and, and, and do want a better way and actually, you know, don't want to continue to live uh, their lives like this indefinitely. Mm. Is there a certain fear in the government, do you think, of of annoying the, the civil libertarians? 
that they're afraid to go down a particular road because the civil libertarians will be up in arms? Um, I just don't know, but I suppose if that is one of the concerns, then a great way to address that is to to take an approach where we really are um, hearing the different different voices and getting a sense of, of what people in Ireland really want. Okay, listen, we hope that sometime soon uh, we, won't, we, we will be looking back and saying we did it. This is the turning point. I think this could be the turning point, yeah. Okay, all right, listen, good to talk Thanks to you. Thanks so much. Thank okay, you, thank thank you, you very did. much. That's... Uh, from UCC, see the Professor of Epidemiology, Professor Patricia Carney. Uh, it can be done. It can be done. You could eliminate it. As regards North and South, here's an idea that just came to me over a coffee recently. I was reading the paper and I don't know what it was, but something to do with the North anyway. Some politics of the North, nothing to do with COVID. And I was reading the newspaper and I thought to myself, hang on a second now. We're politicians on both sides of the border that are extremely well paid. And we have a thing called the British-Irish Interparliamentary Body. I know uh, I attended its meetings. It is the most boring, turgid, wind-bagging session I ever attended. But could it not be put to good use to actually get all of these people in, either into a room or onto Zoom and start something out between North and South. Paul says, it's, we don't, not that we don't have the stomach for it, it's the government doesn't have the balls, uh, nor would they make testing for close contacts mandatory. Sheila says, if you go into hospital on Monday, you have to take a test before going through the door and one on Saturday evening. Why could they not organise something like that for travelling in and out of the country? You see places in Asia and Arabia, and they have low infection figures. It simply must be possible. It's just our Muppets can't figure it out and get it together. Yeah, it is possible. It's been done in Australia. It's been done in New Zealand. It's been done in China. It's been done in Taiwan. It's been done, it's been done loads of different places. We should be next. 1850-715-996. The Portuguese man of war is a fella you never want to come across in a dark alley, let alone a dark patch of water. It's not a wrestler. No, it's not a wrestler. It is a jellyfish and a particularly nasty jellyfish. And Portuguese man of war suggests that they don't come here very often, that they live around Portugal. But of course they don't. But seriously, though, they are a biological problem. And there's a cluster of them around Ireland at the moment. And they are dangerous. Dr. Tom Doyle is a lecturer in zoology at UCC. Tom, good morning. Good morning. They're not native to our water. So what are they doing here? It's, it's a it's a good question. Um, they, we have if if you, if we look back at the previous 150 years, we rarely see Portuguese man of war washed up on our beaches. Um, but what we've seen in the last five years is that we've seen significant numbers of them wash up every October. So we where we you know over a thousand have been recorded washed up in the last um, every October for the last five years. So so look, they're not, they're. We typically wouldn't, if you'd asked me this five years ago, I would have said that they're not native. But in the last five years, we're certainly seeing a lot of them. Mm. Is it a climate change thing? Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly because they're a really difficult anim- animal to study because their, their main distribution of where you find them is they're, they're in the oceans. They're an oceanic animal, so they can be found anywhere in the Atlantic Ocean, essentially. And typically what happens is... is um, 
it could be the wind, like we've seen a lot, or uh, an increase in winds or storms over the last uh, decade. So that's maybe something that we're seeing that might be pushing them up further north into Irish waters. And it could be a combination of increased sea surface temperatures. So we've seen that our waters have increased. So our Irish waters, or the waters of the Northeast Atlantic, have become more favourable for the Portuguese man of war. So they might be doing better in terms of reproduction and, and having more offspring. Mm-hmm. And then if there's more of them about, um, and if they're further north than they normally would be anyway because of the warming waters, then when you get these strong winds or storms from the southwest or southerlies, that is certainly pushing them up towards Irish, um, Irish and UK waters. Now, it's a time of year when... You know, sea swimming is only for the the hardy, but they're not a fellow you want to meet in the water. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, they are probably the most venomous jellyfish. Are uh, they're they're not technically a jellyfish to call the siphonophore, but um, they are the most venomous animal that we have in in the northeast Atlantic. So you definitely don't want to swim into one. And but they are visible. You see them on the surface, so not like a jellyfish, which will be under the water and swimming around. The Portuguese man of war um, float. They have a float that is on the surface of the of, of the sea. It's like a sail, so very, isn't it? It's like a sail, exactly. Yeah, it's so, small. It's a purpley kind of a thing, isn't it? It's a purple blue color and a very vibrant color. And people have described them as it's like a carnish pasty shaped balloon, if, if, if you can imagine it, right. um, floating on the surface of the sea. And dangling underneath that then is the tentacles, and that's that's the that's the problem. That's what people do uh, do not want to encounter. And it's it, uh, are there, is their sting strong enough to kill you? And um, there have there have been two fatalities in off the Florida coast many years ago, but they, they, that's that's really unusual. Um, they can they can certainly inflict a very venomous sting and and put people in hospital. So I would certainly uh, advise people to be very careful now, and especially op- um, open water swimmers. And I know. Yeah, you, you want to. Be, there's been an increase in the amount of people I think that are doing open water swimming. So we're certainly uh, get lots of people out in the water that are seeing them and letting us know about them. Now you've got a Facebook page called the Big Jellyfish Hunt, and I think you you want to use that page. Is it to survey where they are? Exactly. Yeah, the Big Jellyfish Hunt. We, we've been running this Facebook page since, or really since. Uh, 2010 or something like that but we've it, it's it's there we want to track what's happening here because if you go back in 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 um these are unusual species so we want to know where to wash up how many wash up and what time of year and that helps us then in future to say whether we're seeing an increase or decrease because prior to this facebook page we really didn't know much about the Portuguese man of war in Irish waters and with very few records. But once we set that up, essentially, you know, because we have open water swimmers, you've got divers, you've got beach walkers, you've got uh, people who who spend time on the sea, they can let us know of the sea one. So, so now it's great for us because like, um, you know, I'm here in UCC, but I can have eyes all around our coast. So if, if a jellyfish or a Portuguese man of war washes up somewhere, we can know about it. And that helps us to kind of build a picture of what's happening. And, and for example, like, you know, we didn't know up until 2016 with very few records of these. You might get one or two individuals in a year. Mm. But in 2016, with nearly 2,000 individuals washed up. And then again, 16, or 17, 18, 19. And now this year... So that's five years in a row now where we've had thousands of these. And and I guess some people, you could argue that 
maybe people haven't been reporting them, but our, our website's been going for a long time and then we've had other things, uh, the Facebook page as well. So we've been tracking them and we've been looking for these things. So prior to 2016, they were very rare, but certainly since 2016 now, every October we're seeing large numbers of these. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it definitely, for me, it seems to be linked with the, 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 the frequency of storms that we're getting and if you can imagine it, these are floats, these are sails that are sitting on the surface of the ocean, and that's how they get around. They need the wind to move. Um, but if if it's if you get these strong storms that push them further north and push them continuously in the one direction, well, they're they're eventually going to end up on a beach somewhere. And that's what and that's why we want people to 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 report these sightings so that we can we can build a picture of actually what's happening here. Because right now we're only getting sightings in County Cork mainly. But in previous years, we've had them washed up in Cork, and then you see them in Kerry, County Clare, Mayo, all the way up. And uh, and this, uh, you know, with the Facebook page, it helps us build up that really nice picture of when they first start washing up, and then how it, how how they spread around the country. And it's important, like county councils, and and uh, they can put out warnings to um, to to the beach walkers and to to open water swimmers that look be careful that these things are in the water as well. If I'm out for a stroll on the beach with the dog and I come across one of these things, what's the advice? Well, they don't pick them up. I know some people do pick them up and take pictures and stuff like that, but it's 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 you know it's very dangerous to do that. You could get a very bad sting, and um, especially if it's a fresh one. So some of these might just have literally fallen out of the sea onto the beach and they'll be extremely fresh and they're extremely potent. They'll have a lot of venom still in them. And so if you pick it up and you pick up the wrong part, you're going to get a very nasty sting. Um, so the advice would be don't touch them. Um, then take a picture on your smartphone and then submit it on the Big Jellyfish on Facebook page. That would be the, the, the advice. Don't pick them up. Don't let your dog, you know, I was just going to ask that. Could they, could, would they hurt the dog? Uh, yeah, dog could be stung as well, I, I, for sure. Um, I, the, yeah, I definitely, I would say that. The this is going to sound like a terribly stupid question, Tom, and, and forgive me if it is. They're they're not. Are they aggressive in that they will they sense you're there? Do they deliberately sting, or is it just you touch them? It's 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 you simply touch them because. They don't have they, a consciousness, do they? No, they don't. No, they, they won't. They won't have a clue of what's going on. They don't have a brain. Uh, very simple nervous uh, uh, system they have. Okay. Um, so when they wash up on the beach, they're doomed. That's it. They're not going back to sea. And if they do go back to sea, they're going to die anyway. But once they're washed up on the beach, it's only a matter of time that, that they'll eventually die. But their potency will erode over time because it's it's. How how this thing actually works is that you've got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these little tiny balloons or stinging capsules that are located on the tentacles. They're microscopic in size. They're only 10, 20 microns, so really, really small structures, these little balloons. And inside each one of those balloons is a harpoon that that and venom. And if you touch off those balloons, so it's a mechanical um, uh, mechanism. So once you touch off those balloons, they burst and okay. fire out this harpoon at speed and that injects the venom into you. So that's how they catch the food. So Portuguese man of war, they're a predator. They, they, need to, they need to eat just like we do. And how to do that is is um, touching their tentacles off of anything that they encounter in the sea. So when they're washed up on a beach, 
what is normally happening if they're in that surf region, they're being tumbled and, and you know tossed around in that kind of surf zone. They're contacting the, the, the sand and the water all the time, so the, so the sting capsules are firing. So over time, most of the venom will eventually be lost. I see. But something that's washed up very freshly will still pretty much have most of its venom, so you have to be very careful with it. Okay. So don't touch it. Don't let the dog pick it up. All right, we'll take a no, picture and put it on no. the big the big jellyfish hunt Facebook. Tom, thank you very much uh, for that. That's Dr. Tom Doyle, lecturer in zoology at UCC. Do not pick these things up. I have seen them. Uh, and they look like a little bubble, like a little purpley bubble on the surface of the... Don't go near them. Just take a photograph and send it to the big jellyfish hunt. 1850-715-996. You can find out, or you can still vote, rather, in our text poll. We're just doing the counting at the moment, but you can vote Trump or Biden. 83 Trump or Biden, 083-396-9696. It's also on the Twitter. We'll collate the whole lot and give it to you at 5 to 12. Let's find out how it might go next. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. So we've collated it and closed the poll for now. Uh, We've done the collating of the figures. A lot of them, 75-25 for Biden. uh, But collate Twitter, Facebook, or Twitter and uh, text and WhatsApp. Put them all together and you get it. It's an internet 60-40. 60-40, Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump is what our listeners think. You've heard in the news as well that the voters in Dixville Notch... There's a name. Dixville Notch. It's a tiny village of 12 residents. It's like a big house rather than a village. It's in the US state of New Hampshire. They always kick off election day at the stroke of midnight our time. And they voted unanimously for Joe Biden, did the people of Dixville Notch. Let us catch up with the mean streets of New York City and Peter Franklin, the Gabby Cabby. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Live from the... Beautiful but empty streets of New York. Still beautiful, still empty. We talked prior to the last election, and you spoke to me about this New York wise guy who was going to win the election. Um, Now he's a Florida-based wise guy. He's moved his place of residence to Florida, and it's a 60-40 split in the vote. Will he win a second term, Peter? Impossible to tell, and anybody who tries to tell you they have an idea or they know how it's going to work out doesn't have a clue. We're all hanging by a thread here, just waiting to see how this longest-running sitcom ends up. And by the way, speaking of that, I'd like to apologize on behalf of the entire United States for (laughs) for subjecting you people to all of this. It's been an interesting four years, to say the least. No question about it. And I and never in my lifetime have I seen such unbelievable venom that's gone on. I mean, fifty percent of the country and New York, and uh, just either love Trump or hate Trump, love Biden, hate Biden. Uh, you don't discuss it. In other words, if you you discuss it, you're going to end up having a battle with your cousin or your brother or your father-in-law. You just keep your mouth shut when somebody says who you're going to vote for, who you're rooting for. Eh, let's talk about the weather. 
Which is unusual because Americans Very. love to talk politics and coming up to an election time, as far, as far back as I can remember, you could have a conversation about it. It might get a little bit heated. People have strong views on both sides. But at the end of the day, everybody went home friends. That doesn't happen anymore. No, and, and, and I suggest that it's not going to happen when this thing is resolved one way or the other because you're going to have half the country, half the city of New York still upset with the other half. It's a, it's a very bad business. Today in New York City is very weird, and it really is because the streets are empty. Most of the stores are boarded up with wood. I mean, if you want to build some shelves today, you can forget about it. There's no wood to be had. Uh, the streets are pretty deserted. It's got a little nippy, so it's it's kind of like from a science fiction. And Peter, bit. why are they boarded up? Is it to do with coronavirus, or is it to do with a fear of trouble? Fear of trouble. Really? I mean, with, you've seen on your telly the riots and the demonstrations that have taken place, and they usually hit the high-end stores. So in all our fancy neighborhoods like Fifth Avenue, Soho, Greenwich Village, all the stores are boarded up. But as I say, if I wanted to build a shelf today, forget about it. There's no wood. And if you can get wood, the price of it's unbelievable. I don't know if you're aware of it, but so far since the uh, China virus started, uh, over 500,000 New Yorkers have left, just moved away. Mm. They're afraid to stay here. You refer to it as the China virus. That's that's what he calls it as well. That's what President Trump calls it as well. What's the feeling on the ground? We talked, I remember, no, I in know. the early days of the pandemic, yeah. you and I, about it. Yeah, no, but don't, I mean, I don't, I, I guess you're referring to Trump about the China virus. But don't read into that because it, it, the name that somebody uses here in New York City anyway depends on what just pops out at that moment. I could have easily just said COVID too, so don't, okay. don't read anything okay. into it. Okay. Some of my best friends are Chinese people. <laughs> what? And I, did, I didn't intend it that way either. What? What is? What are the issues, Peter? I suppose that's the, the big thing. What are the the on on the real the real people working real jobs, trying to run real houses, and real homes and families? What are the issues? Okay. The number one issue, of course, is getting rid of the uh, pandemic. And because that, of course, affects everything, just like it affects you people. It affects us more only because there's more of us. So that's the number one thing. After that, you can then start to fine-tune it. Are you in favor of big business? Are you in favor of uh, labor? Are you in favor of free education for college students? Are you in favor of this? Are you in favor of that? So there's, trend, there's, there's tremendous political and sociological differences between uh, the two parties, and I can see where you could say to yourself, gee, I am such and such a type of person. I'm going to vote Republican or I'm going to vote Democrat. There are certainly uh, differences. Mm. Will the decision when people are standing there by the by the ballot box or however you cast your vote in whatever state you're in, will they make the decision based on the economy or based on the virus? If it's that decision, which which do you think will be more important to people? It's a, it's, it's a combination of both because they're connected. The very reason that our economy is in the toilet is because of the virus. Mm. And so that's in everybody's mind. And then, of course, we're restricted. Remember, I'm living in a city which is the greatest place in the world. It has restaurants. It has sports arenas. It has all kinds of museums and things to do. Not anymore. I mean, this place is really dead. If you would say to me, hey, Peter, I'm thinking of coming to New York City, I'd say, hey, you better, you better wait a year. 
Really? It's still as... Because we talked in the early days of the pandemic, you and I, and it was it was a dead zone. Is it still a dead zone? Yeah, it's worse. And the reason it's worse is we're now having a second wave, uh, maybe it's a third wave, where it's almost as bad or is going to be as bad as it was in the first place. Uh, just about everybody is catching the disease and uh, people are just worn out from it. And as I say, many, many people who are able to do it financially have just quit and just walked out. For instance, in the taxi business, which I'm a part of, 90% of the taxis don't even bother to go out at daytime at all now or nighttime. They just don't go. They just quit. Crikey. So as we sit down tonight to watch our, our TV and, and listen to radio and hear the results coming in, is there something that they're all saying, watch Florida, watch Wisconsin, watch Michigan. What, what should we watch to give us a steer, Peter, as to what might happen? Well, that's exactly right, because the way we actually run the election, which some people around the world get confused about, is it's actually. Oh, dear. Are you there? Sorry, I lost lost you for a second. You said the way you run the election is what confuses some people. Go ahead. Yeah, you you win by the state. So in other words, even though I and my wife went to the voting place and we casted a vote, in a way we're only voting to see how New York is going to end up. So there are certain states which are kind of more important, like Florida and Michigan and Pennsylvania, which are very important for it to for you to win if you want to get the country that was for, originally set up by the founding fathers because they didn't really trust the masses to elect the president so they figured it would be a safer way to do it is that first you vote for something called the elect the electors mm, the and then the electors yeah. Vote. yeah and they vote by the state so that's the way it's working out and, and 270 people, is the magic number there Exactly. So, and obviously, there are some states. If you have a tiny little state like Rhode Island, you don't have that many votes coming from it. I'm talking about the electors. So, it's an interesting thing. But the important thing for you and your nice listeners to understand is, never in my lifetime has there been such unbelievable venom. Under normal circumstances, this is a holiday today. A lot of people take off from work. You meet your friends at the voting booth. You go out for lunch. You laugh, you giggle, you have a good time. Everybody's walking around angry, mad, and really, really pissed off. And you're not calling it. And when you're not calling it, Peter, I know it's tight. Yeah, no, no, you can't. can't, Anybody, anybody, all the the talking heads, the only broadcast that anybody should trust is you. Thank you. (laughs) Peter, (laughs) always a pleasure to talk to you. Peter Franklin, the Gabby Cabby downtown New York. Gabby.com is his website. And when we can do it again, go take a trip with the guy. It's phenomenal. 1850-715-996. That's it for today. Program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Tomorrow, we might know who the president is. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.